Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For myself, I can make what I need and then to what I need to have for generational wealth. I don't have to keep going to the next level. I don't, the billion dollars might not be what it's supposed to be for me. So to push or drive somebody crazy for it, I don't agree with. That was when, Jerome, I really knew I didn't want to go back because I knew going back to Goodyear, one, it didn't help for my personal life, and then the other piece was, Going back to Goodyear is going to take up 12 hours of my day for at least 14 days a month. So that's 12 hours a day I could be doing to build my own. I don't want to do that for somebody else. If I'm going to do 12 hours a day, let it be for mine. Let it be my legacy and family able to see it. Let, if I'm going to put in blood, sweat, and tears of 18 hours, it's going to be for mine. for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? So tonight we will be hearing from Josh King. Uh, We've talked with Josh. It's been a little while now. Josh, are you on? Yes, I am here. How are you? I'm doing great. You sounded almost like a recording initially. (laughs) I said, somebody hit play is what I thought. <laughs> All right, definitely. I'm just going to um, try to keep things short, simple, sweet. All right, so I don't want to lose the audience, but I want to tell a little about myself, um, about my relationship with Jerome through my professional career. So I'll start first with my relationship with Jerome. Um, this is actually my third opportunity to be a part of the tribe. So hello, tribe. Definitely feel honored to be able to do this and speak with people just off of my experience, whether it can help them, something for them to stay away or something for them to try to follow. Myself with Jerome, met Jerome back when I was in ninth grade when I was a freshman in high school at Pine Forest Senior High at uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And it's funny because we 
say it was a little place, but it's not small. So Jerome and I had some acquaintance, similar acquaintance of people that I knew and that he knew that I didn't know he knew. So we get to JV and JV football over the summer, ninth grade before our ninth grade year, and I come out to the field. And I always would come to football season late because I spent summers out of town. And my friends telling me about all these guys from, from another middle school in the area and telling me that, hey, they can play ball. And so I see Jerome hit somebody. And I said, who is that? And uh, they were like, yeah, that's Jerome right there. That's Jerome right there. That's the safety Jerome from Spring Lake. But uh, it was definitely an honor meeting them, uh, playing on the gridiron with them, not just having high school, but also being able to play collegiate with Jerome, us both attending North Carolina A&T State University. So definitely Aggie pride here. Had a big weekend last week whipping some eagle, but I had an opportunity to play with them off at North Carolina A&T State University. But what I always looked at uh, from Jerome with my relationship, just his ambition at a young age, when I talk about, I knew he had a nickname in the neighborhood that some people called him Jigger, and they called him Jigger for Jay-Z. But Jerome was already forward-thinking, and when I got in a class with him was when I really, really formed a relationship and liked Jerome. And when I talk about, I tell my wife, there's two people that I say are the smartest people I know pound for pound on this earth. I've been around some geniuses. I've been around some people that are very book smart, very street smart. I've been around all of the above. And Jerome Myers is one of those guys. He is the smartest person I know pound for pound. So it really is an honor for me to be a part of his circle, be his teammate, prayed with him, chanted together with him, won championships with him. Definitely an honor. So I, I do want to always speak and praise that up to the tribe. So about myself, I matriculated through North Carolina A&T State University, ended up having an opportunity to play a little professional football after college, some arena football. During that time, I wanted to also kind of think beyond football. So I kind of sat back on my life spiritually and said, hey, I asked God for three things in life, and he's provided me those things. So I know that things you got to act specific, and I know that sometimes God has a sense of humor too. So I remember I was still trying for the NFL, and I thought to myself, yeah, I never asked to play in the NFL. I just asked to play professional football. Maybe I need to reevaluate what I'm doing. How long, how far, what do I really want to chase? So this NFL thing, is it something really for me? And I had to evaluate my life at that time, and I said, I, I don't want to do it. I'm doing it now more for other people, and that's not the way to, to do something and, and go wholeheartedly at it. So I ended up leaving the any football attempts, had a couple opportunities with CFL, some more AFL teams, and A1 teams trying to sign me, but I really walked away from the sport, and I never wanted to be injured, and I never was injured, so I was blessed for that. And so I started a professional career and also started getting my master's at the same time. And I started out at Aldi's grocery store. I had actually at Lowe's Home Improvement and then went to Aldi's grocery store. So I'm going to shoot around to a couple of places real quick. Went from job to job really just going for more money because I was going, hey, I'm not hugely looking for a career right now. And I was even kind of thinking about going to the military as an opportunity to potentially go towards the medical field. So I decided after Aldi's, I finished my master's degree, and I said, hey, I, I don't even think I want to be a medical doctor anymore, and I almost guaranteed I didn't want to be. I wanted to become a doctor of something else, whether it be in statistics, getting a Ph.D., and or something in business. So I ended up taking an opportunity with CentOS Corporation, their management trainee program. And for me, it was actually a step backwards. So I'm going to hit some three gems tonight, and I'm going to go back and talk those into the story and the different times of life that they occurred. But 
from this professional standpoint, what I realized was I sometimes have to step backwards to go forward, and going to Centos as a management trainee was actually considered a step backwards. I was a store manager with Aldi, making pretty good money at my age, and for what I was doing, I didn't have much work. I knew my work, and I knew I wasn't gaining anything. So for me, I knew I needed to grow, and that was the point of me leaving and going to Centos, which was a bigger corporation, a publicly traded corporation, more job opportunities. And then this management training program, I said, hey, I went and got my master's, but I want to learn in the field. I want to have an opportunity to learn about management, learn about business, learn about P&Ls, learn about cost schedules, everything I could from business. And I knew CentOS could provide that opportunity. So I went through CentOS, went through the management training program, excelled at it, went into sales for a little bit to get a lot of exposure with marketing and sales. And the one thing that I can tell you, sales can tell you very fast, is either it's for you or it's not. And for myself, it wasn't for me at that time of my life. So I can tell you firsthand, I sucked at sales. Calling people over the phone for four hours straight, making 35, 40-plus calls an hour to try to schedule appointments, I was terrible at that. Now, when it came time to me sitting in front of a customer and have an opportunity to gain their business and gain agreement with them that they needed our services, I could do good at that. But if I can't get in front of the customer, I knew I couldn't sell, and that was all phone block, and it is telemarketing the whole 110%. That I hate telemarketers, so I said, hey, I'm doing something. Uh, people I hate, I hang up on telemarketers, so I know I'm not going to be successful being one. So I left out of sales and actually went, came back to Fayetteville, North Carolina as a service manager, and that was my first role where I had in a corporation where I had goals, KPIs, and I still had to learn, and I was a leader of the pack. So I was one of the leading management trainees in a new program that we helped develop. So a lot of eyes were on me. I had founded some people in the company, had the CEO, COO, Philip Holloman, actually as my mentor, mentor me through a lot of corporate America initial times. So a lot of personal things, business things, I would call and ask and seek advice, hear suggestions, and I learned a lot. Listening to somebody that is over a billion-dollar corporation as a president, COO and president, it was very, very enlightening for myself and a great opportunity. And I'll tell you one thing. He told me that I take advice. Always seek many mentors and then also mentor why you are being men- you are a mentor. Um, so you need to have a mentee because that helps you develop as you're developing somebody else. And with your mentor, you're also learning because everybody, you're not going to face their experience, but more people have gone through what we think we're the only ones going through than we acknowledge, and that can help half the battle. Because people want to, they don't want you to fail, and they don't want you to go through the fire and flames to succeed. And they'll be honest about their experience, and that is key. Because your experience is only what you can truly experience, but the way to spread that fast is your mentors, the things they've experienced, and people that you have intimate conversations with, these things help spread your experience. So from Centiles, I got to that point where I thought I was at a ceiling, and it wasn't that I was the best I could be or that I was the executive. I changed over to the production side and actually became a production manager, and I got the urge for money. So a lot of times that happened to be the reason I was leaving a company was hey, I can go make more money. So I left and actually came to went to Goodyear, Tire and Rubber. And Goodyear and Tire and Rubber here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, used to be Kelly Springfield. So for myself, I grew up on the north side of Fayetteville, and I knew all about Kelly Springfield from what I thought I knew. So for myself, it was a little bit of a step back because I didn't plan to be in Fayetteville long term, 
but people that work at Kelly Springfield in a good year or a good year, they're usually going to be in Fayetteville for life. They're going to be here, and they're going to retire out of Kelly, and they make good money. But for myself, I knew I had more than that. So I went to Goodyear as a contractor initially and excelled through as a contracted area manager that I got picked up full-time by Goodyear. And at Goodyear, I continued to excel as an area manager, managing about 75 employees. I did night shifts, which wasn't the greatest. I worked in the beginning tire part, which is considered mixing. And I also started getting involved in some things off a of shift which was referred to as plan optimization or process improvement, TPM, Six Sigma, all those different names are what it all entailed at the end of the day. And that was where I piqued my interest in a lot of the things that I was gauged I wanted to learn a lot about. And I had a, a general manager at CentOS tell me one time when I told him I was interested in Six Sigma, and what he told me was, hey, Josh, you don't have to be an expert at everything, but you need to know enough that somebody can't pull the wool over your eyes and take advantage of you. So he says, so for Six Sigma, he say, hey, go get your black belt, go get your green belt, you know, which you feel is enough, but you don't have to necessarily you be the guy to do it. And I understood what he meant. And like he told me is I'm the guy that I don't want to, I'm a black belt, but I'm not going to use it. I'm going to go get somebody to be my black belt. That's a boss. And as a boss, I know he's not going to pull the wool over my eyes of what's being done in Six Sigma. So I took that advice, and I wanted to get go heads in, though. I went in um, and plan optimization, got promoted to a plan optimization specialist, and we were implementing the process of Lean Sigma and plan optimization items and TPM, 5S principles, all these different things for process improvement. At the end of the day, it, companies have to get better now, and a lot of the getting better now is robots. And if you're not doing robots and getting better now, then you're not going to be in business because your highest expense you will have on your P&L are payroll, and if you have any material cost or waste or anything like that, those are going to be the highest items that you're trying to reduce on your P&L every month. And the way to reduce people is robots. And process improvement is a way that you initiate that through lean, and you will lean things out or you won't exist. So I, I get with this 45, his impression that he's going to bring these 10,000 mil jobs back, and I think he has good intentions with that. But I think 45 doesn't acknowledge that those 10,000 jo jobs 20 years ago are not 10,000 jobs in 2018. That may be 800 jobs if you're lucky. And if it's more than that, that company is not going to be around because they're going to lose a lot of money. But I went through that process, had an opportunity to get picked to do their black belt program, which was referred to the advanced focus improvement, and did that, did presentations in front of big wigs, had a great opportunity, and I ended up going – um, after last year's call, it gave me the kick in the butt of the tribe call to go and get my black belt exterior out of Goodyear. So that was what I did was went and retrieved my black belt from the International Six Sigma Black Belt Certified, and I took that course, did that. And so I had a friend that actually reach out to me. He was over at Man Hummel Pure Later, and that's, again, for anybody in Fayetteville here, Pure Later in Goodyear or Pure Later in Kelly Springfield are two places that we know that people work at, and they're probably going to be the better jobs here. And I went, took the opportunity to Manhumble. And at Manhumble, I went over there as the continuous improvement specialist where I was solely focused on Lean Sigma and doing Kaizen events, leading those Kaizen events and performing lean exercises to go to one police flow, to reduce line employees, to make a better process as smooth 
to eliminate parts of the process to save and gain money on the bottom line. Great opportunity, um, learned a lot. And where I went from there was some things I learned early in the business world and also through the tribe was that time's not going to wait on anybody. And corporate America is a female, all right? Not in a negative connotation. I don't mean it to say it this way, but she will screw you if you're around to be screwed. The point of that was I've laid people off. I've fired people. I have ripped people, reduced the workforce. And I remember times where I didn't think it was the right thing to do, but we were told that's what we had to do, and I didn't understand. But I know that a business isn't in business to make money, or they're not a business. They're a hobby. So July 19, 2018, I was laid off from Man Hummel Pure Later. The continuous improvement position specialist, they were going to rid my salary for the rest of the year at least, and then they were going to eventually go ahead and close down the continuous improvement department until they found, I guess, in a sense, who they thought would be able to go run it at an even leaner rate. But what happens with continuous improvement is when you start to improve things, you get to a point where you're going uphill, you're going uphill, and you're doing great because you have so so much low-hanging fruit, easy things to fix, get corrected, and be successful. And then you use that poster story and tells your story because you're able to show where you started and where you're at. Then you get to a point where things start to level out, and you got to kick it into another gear. And what a lot of companies do at that time is that's when they start leaning out their lean department or their black belts or their Six Sigma department. They get to that flat point, they lean them out. And that's what occurred with myself was I was leaned out and laid off at that time. So where I did professionally, it's my first time as an adult being without a job. I always did go from job to job, and I knew I could get a job very fast. But there were some things that I had said last year was I had always promised myself I'd be retired at 35, and I am 35. Now, again, God has a funny way and a funny sense of humor. I didn't say before I turned 36 or the day before. I didn't specify. I said when I was 35. So I acknowledged that I wasn't specific. So I have some more time. Then I also one time listened to a great um, NPR episode where a guy was talking about biblical times. He was talking about retirement and how us Westerners think of retirement and how we're completely wrong with it. That retirement's not that you work to 62 and then you schedule for Social Security. Hopefully you have a pension. If you don't, you got 401K, maybe some 403Bs, and you got these investments and things that are now going to pay for the end of your life. And I said, hey, I'm listening hard because that's not what I want. And what he talked about was the retirement is really when you're doing what you want to do. That retirement, you're still working, but you're working on your terms. And it doesn't mean that you work 80 hours. It doesn't mean you work 20. It's what you want. If you want to work 80 hours, it's what you do. And that gave me a very, very different respect or respect and perspective of retirement. And it's not traditional. It's not what you'll hear, and especially as Westerners. In the United States, it's what we think of. You get to 62 and I'm going to retire. Hey, I worked here 30 years or I worked here 20 years, but that's not necessarily what retirement is. Retirement is what you want retirement to be. And a lot of times people retire and go get part-time jobs because, again, they work towards something that what, that was a false fairy tale of what existed. So for myself, I told, I said I wasn't going to update my resume. And when I, even when I went to Manning Hummel, I was very hesitant to go. And it wasn't about leaving a job. It was I didn't want to leave a job to go update my resume and work for somebody else. So I had been for years trying to start a job, trying to start a, a company, I'm sorry. And last May, I actually started a, my first business venture 
hospitality linen service out in Asheville, North Carolina. My sister-in-law, my brother, and I bought a small business doing high-end linen where we're actually servicing boutiques and massage parlors. We're servicing their linen. And we're doing pretty good. We're make positive cash flow. I don't see any income off of it yet, which is not a problem, but we're also in a position that we've raised the value of the company that we're looking at the opportunity to sell it now to double our profit. And that's a huge thing for us to give us a better head start for whatever next business venture we're going to look at. But it also started to rub some good juices for myself. But being laid off, the about a month after I was laid off, um, I got a little severance, which is n- never going to be enough, of course. But it, I was in some good lessons because there's some, been some great tribe calls and some things that have happened to other tribe members, whether being fired but being prepared. So for myself, I was partially prepared, not as fully prepared as I wanted to be. But about a month after being laid off, I actually got a call from my old boss at Goodyear, and he was my boss when I was an area manager. So he very good guy. I respect him very much in the business world, especially in corporate America, because he's very, very honest. And in a production environment, he knows how to get jobs done. But he called me, and he did a very good job of luring out what was I doing now. But I knew that he knew, and I think he knows that I knew that, he, that I was laid off. But his approach was the right way, and I respected the way he talked to me as far as trying to get me to come back to Goodyear. So I – he told me to go back, look online, to look for positions. So I went to look for a specialist position. There was one. So I went and applied for it right away. He told me, hey, call this person and bug them. Don't stop calling until you talk to me. He said, and I'm going to do the same thing from this end. I'll vouch for you any day. Um, hey, you got a great name here. Sucks what happened, but, hey, let's get this thing rocking and rolling. So I finally get in touch with the hiring manager about a week later. And um, he lets me know. He said, hey, Joshua, I'm sorry to hear about what's happened, Bam, but, hey, I want to offer you a job now. And I'm not going to be able to offer you the specialist position, but I want to bring you back as an area manager. And for myself, I was desperation mode and contemplating a lot of things. So I talked with him. He gave me a clear view of what, what could happen, you know, how fast I could be promoted, everything, what salary could bring me back. Um, he told me he couldn't guarantee me that I wouldn't be working nights, a lot of different things. So I had some personally going on where my wife had actually changed and left back out of the county school system and went back to a charter school in Durham, an online charter school. So I was supposed to be support at the point for that transition because my layoff transition wasn't ever considered. Every day we go to work, we don't go, we're going to work to get fired or laid off or risk reduced in workforce today. It's not the way we go to work. So it wasn't anything that I was forewarned or I could have been more prepared for the opportunity is really what it became. So with the job at Goodyear, uh, the area manager job, I had to really do some soul searching and, and think about some things. And I've been a part of a lot of leadership groups over the last year where I've heard some great conference calls and great advice. And one was, hey, take some time for yourself and go have a date with yourself. So I went and walked the trail, did some meditating, did a lot of praying, a lot of thinking. And I walked away going, hey, I'm not going to take that job. There was a reason I said I wasn't updating my resume anymore. So I decided to decline that position at Goodyear, and in that revelation, I also realized I was going to start my next business venture. And the opportunity actually presented itself. I was looking for some things that were going to work for me where I would be at home and assist my wife as much as possible, be a part of my children's life more, coaching their teams, 
supporting all their games, but still be able to make money and be able to show the entrepreneur and begin to build generational wealth. And I ran across an opportunity, and what it was is an actually home-based call center. So I started a company where I actually now have a home-based call center, Koenig LLC, where I contract work currently through Carnival Cruise Line to do their customer service and then eventually work into a supervisor role and into a trainer role. And I am currently looking for employees, but I'm going to actively and aggressively look at the beginning of 2019 is what's in my business plan for me to actively grow my company and aggressively grow my company. So that's currently what I'm doing from a professional standpoint and how I kind of got there. The things I want to leave and talk about, again, I, Jerome and I often send each other different podcasts and send inspirational messages, different things. And when I run across great things, I always try to share and go, hey, people need to see this. Everybody might not understand or get it. And it's great. I, I love the forethought and the trailblazing that Jerome has always been. Um, so when we do it, I, I really have a great enjoyment because I go, I'm going to get him one better. I know he's going to get me one better. And we just kind of go back and forth in such a positive, positive, competitive way. So we're kind of pushing each other like, hey, you got to get me something better. I'm going to get you. And we never say it to one another. It's just understood. And one of the ones, the podcast I've been listening to has been uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins. And uh, very, very good as the Black Business School. And he has some very, very good items. Then I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with majority. And even more, it gives me the vision to understand what we should be doing and where we're going. And he talks about how, as a community, we have been kind of conditioned to be corporate sharecroppers. And it was such an interesting statement, metaphorically, to really go, wow, I never thought about that. And it, just very good information from him. But the three things that I, I really want to leave with everybody is just three pillars of wealth that he talks about. So I've always known, you know, to become a millionaire, and it's not just the number that you push for, it's for a wealth standpoint. And not just a net worth, but truly pushing a generational wealth, having the cash flow, all the things to live the life to the fullest potential that we all can live to and deserve to live to. And I always knew that multiple streams of income was the way to get there, but I didn't know how to channel or direct that. So I just looked at it as, oh, if I had some money here, some money there, but what did those kind of break down? And he breaks it down in three pillars of wealth. And the first one is self-employment. So before I ever fully became self-employed and as an entrepreneur, I didn't even know that he had this as a pillar. So he has self-employment, and, of course, you want to be generating well, or generating income as it's being self-employed. But the second pillar is real estate. Somehow within the real estate industry, having investments, whether you're flipping homes, whether you're renting out homes, whether you're some way acquiring real estate to be able to transition into positive generating of income. And, of course, everybody, you want residual income. And then you want passive residual income of um, your money making. Everybody's heard of Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's been around for a while, which is a great book to read, where he talks about just the passive income and understanding his rich dad versus his poor dad. His third pillar that Dr. Boyce talks about is investments. And he particularly talks about investments in the stock market through the Black Business School. That's something that he teaches and trains on. Um, to follow certain signals and different things to be able to make good money in the stock market, even if it's your full-time investment. But having those three pillars of wealth is the way that we need to drive things. An excellent point because, like for myself, I got into Forex, foreign exchange currency, 
and it's something else I'm dabbling into to push with that investment pillar, to start pushing for more passive income. If you all have a chance, I would definitely take a listen to Dr. Boyce Watkins. It's great stuff he has. You YouTube him, push for a podcast. Um, also, another podcast I definitely would refer to everybody is the Ash Cash Podcast. Um, has a lot of great episodes. It's had actually Dr. Boyce's brother on there talking about the Black Business School, but it's excellent podcast for the different insight. Something else I wanted to share with everybody I thought was a really, really good gem, and I'm going to go into my three gems after this. God sent this thing to me, and my wife tells me all the time, my family's dreamers, and I'm a dreamer. And she goes, I'm pragmatic, and I'm the realist. And I go, hey, that's right, because um, I remember it since I read their story of how their company started Rag the Riches. And their CEO, their founder of Centos, actually converted the company to that. He talked about how he was a dreamer, but sometimes he was dreaming a little too far out. Like he was dreaming, I can fly, but doesn't have an airplane. So he had that pragmatic person, his COO, was that guy that kept him kind of like, hey, whoa, whoa, that's a little too big, slow down. Hey, here we can't do that. We're running and we haven't crawled yet. And that's what my wife does for me. So when I say a yin and yang, she truly is a yin and yang for me. But what I saw on this paper, it said a dream written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken down into steps becomes a plan. A plan backed by action becomes reality. And when you see that on the paper or read that, hear it, it starts to put in perspective how you make your dreams reality. And sometimes you're doing this and it takes forever or it's hard. You don't realize because you haven't done these steps to be able to make it reality. The three gems I talk about, and I talk about them often whenever I have an opportunity to speak, um, whether it be at college or any speaking engagements, anything that I'm involved in, I talk about the three gems of my life because of the way they came. I didn't realize they were diamonds until I had went a little further in life and matured. And I'm going to name them, and I'm going to talk about how I got to these gems. The first one is either you're getting better or you're getting worse. Second one is get yours because I'm going to get mine. Third one is you got to change or you will die. All right, so I'm going to try to shorten these stories up as much as possible. First one, um, either you're getting better or you're getting worse. I had a Coach Richard Bailey when I was a junior in high school. Um, I was in my head, in my mind, in dreams. I was going to be a basketball player and an NBA basketball player I was going to be. And I would watch hoop dreams every day. I would go play basketball every day. One day, Coach Bailey, he's a football coach. He's a defensive coordinator. He pulls me aside. This is actually my sophomore year into my junior year. And he's talking. And Coach Bailey was a very, very player's coach. He was the cool young coach that, hey, guys, come talk. Talk with me. And Coach Bailey grabbed me and he said, hey, Joshua, hey, what's going on, man? I heard about you at the tournament last week. I just scored like a 35-point game. And people were talking about it at school from the tournament. And Coach Bailey goes, hey, man, I heard you had a great tournament, man. That's great. Like, I'm highly supportive of, of basketball because I want athletes. I don't want football players. I want athletes. So that's great. He said, hey, you lifting? I said, yeah, you know, a little bit, Coach. Now, I'm lying to him, and the reason I'm lying is initially I never wanted to lift weights. And the reason why I didn't want to lift weights was because I'm a little bit of a pretty boy, but my older brother was in the weight room pretty hard, and he had stretch marks. And I said, yo, I don't want stretch marks. I don't like the way that looks. So I tried to stay away from the weight room as much as I could. And then I would lift, but I wasn't real strong. And so that even more was discouraging to be in the weight room. So Coach Bailey, he knew the answer already. But he goes, hey, okay, that's good. Hey, Josh, are you getting stronger? Uh, well, you know, not really. You know, I'm maintaining, Coach. You know, I'm about even. And so he said, hey, Josh, let me tell you something. He said, all right, what's going on, Coach? 
He said, man, hey, you had a great game. Keep that going. But he said, listen, this is going to help you not just football, basketball, life, just getting yourself better. And, man, either you're getting stronger or you're getting weaker. There's no such thing as maintaining when you're lifting weights. I said, okay, coach. And I left. Again, I got the big head. And, no, nah, he's just hating because I'm playing basketball and I'm doing good. You know, all this. So I thought about that. And as life went on, I'm about 21 years old, and I sat back and thought about that message. Now, it was a diamond in the rough. It was a cold he gave me because the way he gave me that message wasn't the same way I was able to really interpret it for my life. Either you're getting stronger or you're getting weaker. And what I realized at age 21 was, hey, either you're getting better or you're getting worse. So in life, if you're not growing, if you're not learning, you're getting dumber. If you're not getting stronger, you're getting weaker. If you're not getting faster, you're getting slower. And that was a reality in the gym I really had to keep to my life. Either you're getting better or you're getting worse. Second one was from Bill Hayes, my college coach, second and the third one, all right? And my relationship with Coach Hayes, and as I realized with college coaches, you don't really see your college coach except for at practice, and he kind of knows your name if you're the star. He knows you but doesn't. He knows he has some guys in scholarship he doesn't. So I started to realize that in college, and um, I'm, as I'm matriculating through the great university, I'm also playing football, so I'm a student athlete. And he pulls me to his office. This is after my freshman year, and I was redshirted, and I was on the practice team, and then they would move me from the practice team over to the other team. And I, I knew, like, hey, I don't want to be a practice team All-American. Hey, I just play. I lifted hard. I had already gained that advice to start getting stronger, gaining a little weight, um, getting faster, doing all the things, and I was doing all the right things. And this is after spring ball, and I had earned my – spot on the depth chart in the traveling team and also the camp for the next year. So they were calling me in to really do my evaluation, and I didn't know you had evaluations, but my position coach, uh, Terrell Williams, and Bill Hayes were in his office. And this environment, when I walk in, they're giggling. It's like it was smoky, and it smells like marijuana. So for myself, as a young 19-year-old freshman, I'm in there confused. I'm like, what's going on? They're giggling, and, and my coach is giggling. Bill Hayes isn't giggling. He's just looking, and he talks loud. So I go in, and I listen. He, hey, you told me you were going to do this, and hey, great job. And, and, you know, he would say little funny things. I heard the girls, you know, picking up on you. And so I'm just in there like, what is the point of this? What is going on? I don't get this. Why does my coach keep laughing? Are they in here smoking weed? So my mind's going everywhere. So he, he talks to me. He said, hey, Joshua, uh, let me talk to you about something real important I want you to understand right now. So, okay, Coach. So he said, hey, um, you know, again, you, you came here, you said you were going to get your grades, and then I, I respect what you did, and I like what you're doing. He said, hey, um, you, need to, uh, you need to get yours because I'm going to get mine. So, okay. So, again, I'm, what is he talking about? So you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, Coach. And I'm in my head like, these guys are crazy. They're in here high, and they're calling me in here. What are they doing? And he said, hey, I'm, you need to listen. You need to get yours because I'm going to get mine. He said, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you what mine is, Josh. So go ahead, Coach. He said, I'm going to have you in the weight room. I'm going to have you at every practice. I'm going to have you in every film session. I'm going to have you up at the training table. I'm, ha- I'm going to take up all your time that I can. I'm going to get mine. He said, you better get yours. And yours at minimal better be that degree. He said, because I don't care if you're here for a semester. I don't care if you're here for a year. I don't care if you make it through two years. And then flunk out, quit. I don't care. While you're here, I'm mine, I'm going to get mine. You better get yours. And I left out, man, you know, I ran and told everybody, man, they end up smoking weed or something. Man, they talking to me crazy. Coach Hayes crazy, man. So I would tell everybody that story. And I would tell them, the, you better get yours because I'm going to get mine. And I didn't understand. 
And so as I got older and matured and really sat back and listened to what he said, and it made so much sense. Now, for myself, I expected to get my college degree, um, and that wasn't something for myself that I looked like, hey, I got to get this. It was something I thought of automatic. I'm supposed to get. I came to college. I don't go to high school not to graduate. I don't go to college not to graduate. So these were expectations that were just automatic for me. And I kind of sat back and I said, hey, think of how many guys that were there my freshman year that weren't and weren't. And I said, wow, I see what he was saying. So as I started realizing, that's not just football. That's not just college. That's not just life. That's take it through life. What I always did at my jobs, and I always stand high on this, was I never went and just got a paycheck. I never went and just got benefits. I know that corporate America is going to utilize and use you for what is to their advantage and what it's advantage. It's what it's supposed to do. That's why those systems are set up. And this is the reason why it's easy for, easier for us to just go get those jobs versus becoming entrepreneurs. They went and laid the groundwork and have some cookie-cut positions for you to be able to fit in, which is good for people. But you want to get yours because they're going to get theirs. So you got to learn. You got to get your black belt. You got to go get the extra things. You got to learn about business. And these were the things I always did at work that even at Man Humble, the six months that I was there, I was able to gain so much exposure, experience, and knowing what lean, it put me as a better person. That gym, that it was a coal initially, that diamond that was coal in the rough, was a gym in life I've been able to always apply. In anything in life, get yours. It's a sense of self-preservation. Will Smith said, if you're on that airplane, the Stewardess tells you, before you put that mask on anybody else or attempt to assist somebody, put yours on first. That's self-preservation. It's a must. That's a very, very important gem that I live by for myself is get yours because I'm going to get mine. All right, the last one is you got to change your diet. And, again, Coach Hayes had these funny times and funny sayings. He would say things that I thought he was the craziest person in the world. And I thought he was just so funny because he would be serious and I was like, this guy's like a walking joke. But it were, they were gems he was laying to us that I didn't understand and had to learn quick. And what Bill Hayes was talking about, we had our offensive coordinator leave us. And at A&T and Coach Hayes, he was known to run the ball. It could be fourth and forever. He would run the ball still, and he would sometimes get the first down. So he was telling us as a team we had to change or we'll die. So I'm just the extreme of dying was, Coach, what's wrong with him? But – it took me a long time to really realize what it means, what it can mean, and what it really stands for. And death isn't always in a physical, I had to realize, and that took me some time to understand it. From a mental standpoint, from a spiritual and physical, death is not just being in a casket or being cremated. It, there's death that can happen before that. And when I read Who Moved My Cheese, it made me think and realize that gem that Bill Hayes had given me so many years before. And you got to change or you'll die. So when you think of the definition of insanity, to do the same thing over and over, expecting change but getting the same result is the definition of insanity. Bill Hayes told, us, told me that in a team, and I didn't even listen. And I realized through time, hey, I got to be able to evolve. I got to move to the next level. I got to look at this, and, hey, I can't keep doing that the same way. So I take those three gems and – I apply those to my life and now even more applying them to this new journey as a self-entrepreneur 100% full-time to talk about timing, all right? Timing is everything. And the way that we set ourselves up and the way the opportunities are supposed to come or the way you got to be prepared for timing, 
you got to be able to take the risk when timing's there and don't be afraid to step out on your own. That's been the biggest things I've learned from the tribe and listening to call in, call out. I always wonder and go, what was the difference in Bill Gates? What was the difference Mark Zuckerberg? What was the difference with Warren Buffett? What was the difference with Jay-Z or, or Sean Combs? Or just These are people from a wealthy money standpoint, but even I look at people that are wealthy and spiritual and physical and those things too, they took the chance and the time and they were prepared for the right timing. So if the best business opportunity comes before me, am I prepared for it? That's all timing. So that's all I have for you tonight, Tribe. I hope that everybody has been able to take something um, to capture. At this point, I'll give everybody, anybody an opportunity if you have any questions or anything you want to say. You know I always got questions. So what happened on your walk that made you say, hey, I don't have to go back and make a six-figure salary again? I'm going to do it my way. You know, again, I, I try to always be a melting pot, and I've heard for years, and I listen to people because I've always – I realized real quick that I wanted to own a business. And, of course, everybody wants to own a business. They don't do anything. They just make money, and that can exist if you create it to exist for you. But what I realized – I listened to Keenan Ivory Wayne's one time. He was talking about – I don't remember what it was on, but he was talking about how when he went into entertainment – he went without a safety net on purpose. He left college and said, hey, I don't want to have that safety net. i got to walk out on this tightrope without the safety net. And for myself, I've used that safety net as the corporate America Avenue. That's been my safety net. And I could have started a business, multiple businesses, and had these things a little bit more off the ground to be generating positive cash flow and income, even if it was minimal. But that if something occurred, I was prepared. You know, I talked about, understanding all the ill wills that corporate America can do to us. And it can lay you off one day, fire you one day, you can be the top dog, and the next day you're down. What have you done for me lately? And for that, that wasn't the world I want to exist. I love our society and our free United States of America, and our capitalist economy is an amazing. The piece I don't like, though, is the capitalist greed. That's what I don't agree with. And when I say the capitalist greed, I don't believe in – in a socialist economy, that everybody should be doing this, but I don't believe in the capitalist greed. I've been in a company where I've made the millions of dollars, and the next year they're saying, we want you to make double the multi-million dollars you've done. So when we saved $5 million and, and saved the, the bottom line, $5 million, they were expecting $10 million the next year. And what I'm going is how much money is ever enough? For myself, I can make what I need then to what I need to have for generational wealth, I don't have to keep going to the next level. I don't, the billion dollars might not be what it's supposed to be for me. So to push or drive somebody crazy for it, I don't agree with. That was when, Jerome, I really knew I didn't want to go back because I knew going back to Goodyear, one, it didn't help for my personal life, and then the other piece was going back to Goodyear is going to take up 12 hours of my day for at least 14 days a month. So that's 12 hours a day I could be doing to build my own I don't want to do that for somebody else. If I'm going to do 12 hours a day, let it be for mine. Let it be my legacy and family able to see it. Let, if I'm going to put in blood, sweat, and tears of 18 hours, it's going to be for mine. So that was a, a real big step because it's a huge conversation to have with a spouse. I got a mortgage. I got car payments. I got insurance. What do I do? So how did that conversation go? I mean, did you, you say, hey, honey, I decided I'm not going to take this job, or did you say, hey, I want your input? Like. 
How did, how, did, how did you have that conversation? That conversation really went with a lot of growth because I, what I knew was I had to step away and not come for just desperation because some of the fear of being unemployed was starting to set in of, hey, I really don't have a job. I'm getting up to nothing. It's enjoying. I'm, it's kind of a mini vacation, but is it time for me to be off a of vacation? And with my wife, I wanted her true input, and she didn't want me back at Goodyear. And she didn't want me back at Goodyear because, one, it wasn't conducive to what we were going to have occur. Like, hey, it's, if we do that later in the year, towards Christmas or, or the beginning of next year, that could work because then we can have schedules and everything set up. But it wasn't conducive for personal life. And then she was very supportive from a professional standpoint of, is that what you want, though? And, it's, and like I told her, the going backwards as an area manager wasn't a problem because I said, hey, I can go make, again, I can go make six figures, but is it what I want to do? And do I want to destroy myself? For what I'm thinking is a goal. And then you see how that six figures became a cap. It had a ceiling. So, yeah, I can go make six figures. Why can't I make seven? Because that's not what they want. That's not what's allowed. So that was kind of the, hey, it's time for me to get out of the pond on the little boat and step into the ocean on the yacht. And if I want to do that, I got to do it confidently. And I understand that that yacht doesn't start as a yacht. It starts as a rowing boat. And I got to grow it. And I, this ocean is endless. So we do have a wonderful country we live in that gives me capitalist opportunity, legal capitalist opportunity, and how hard am I willing to work for? So that's how the conversation went, Jerome, and the support. And really it was what do I think is best for our family? You're fortunate in having a partner that supported you in that. Now tell me about laying people off and being a hatchet man. I mean, what did that do to your soul? It, um, it, in a sense, you've got to be heartless because it's really not personal. And when you say personal and business or professional, I was able to do that good, but you don't sleep at night because you know you've affected somebody's life. So I remember my first um, reducing my workforce when I was willing to do it, um, and I wanted to be a part of the process to understand how did it work. And for myself, I watched the people, and even the little amount of money they made, I was still concerned for them, and I didn't speak about it. I just kind of watched my GM and everybody else's reaction. And then they talked to me about it, and he kind of expressed, hey, you can't take that personal. But what it does for your soul, it's, it gives you a reality of the world. And for a company, again, I'm not going to speak against corporate jobs because it's a way to learn, and it's a way that you also can get ahead. I was the guy that wanted to climb the corporate ladder and be a CEO of a company. And then I had to step back and one day realize, I need to create my own company and be CEO. I had a boss, you know, he told me, he said, hey, to become CEO, you got to get, you got to be good. You got to do good. You got to be a hard worker and you got to have some luck. And I went to myself, well, what the heck do you mean? Why do I got to have luck? And so, you know, I'm, hey, I'm reading about this. I'm seeing I got the right mentors. Why do I got to have luck? That sounds different. But he said, hey, let's be real, Josh. You're black. You're a male. What if they want a white female to do it? Well, what if they want a white male to do it. Well, what if they want a different black male? So he says, so you got to think of positions and opportunities. It does become luck because I realize in corporate America, it's not necessarily people that know or they're very smart or they're good. It's about who they know. And with any job, you're going to get experience through the time. So it's who they knew or who they, they know before the job opportunity. And then they begin to get their experience while they're kind of in the fire. And that's how it works in and out of every company. And some people are luckily you get the smart guys are there, but that's why we have a lot of idiots that are CEOs too. 
So we have a lot of idiot executives. But I, I don't speak against corporate America. Again, I say that very, very loudly because it was a starter in me understanding business and how much I was able to take from it and learn and now apply for myself. And I just I'm amazed at how similar our paths were and I hate the holidays right now. It, yeah. I, I I get nauseous with Thanksgiving and Christmas because telling people the week before or the week of that hey uh, you don't have anything you, you don't the way that you've been feeding your family you're not going to be able to do that next week. It just and it's always in the fourth. It's always it, the end of November, the beginning. It it, it always is. Yep. And it's, it's not a good feeling. And the truth of it, again, Jerome, is it's, you're only as good as a company as they need you to be good for them. So they are. When I took that from Coach Hayes, you better get yours because I'm going to get mine, they're going to get theirs. And when I was on that end of I'm laying people off, again, I knew all the realities. I can be 100 one day and the next day down completely. And I'm still a great guy. You know, hey, you're a great person. I'll vouch for anything. Hey, I'll you apply for a job, reference me. Hey, you know, get them in touch with me directly, all these things but I no longer was in use. And for myself, you get the offense or the sense of what true abuse is, and that's what our capitalist greed economy creates in society. It, that's not a capitalist society. It's the capitalist greed that I don't agree with. And for that, I go, again, I remember getting those orders of you need to do this and do this and this, and it's orders. It's what I have to do. I did not agree with it. And at those points, I should have sometimes gut-checked and said, hey, if this isn't good, it's not that it's a wrong thing like illegal, unmoral, unethical, but it's I don't feel right morally like this is wrong. Like when I see why we're laying them off because we got to bring robots in here now or we're laying them off early that we don't have the robot shit we're not going to have them for three years, that we still can have these people until that time, that doesn't feel good. And for myself, it went, why go back to that? And one of the key things my old boss said to me was, Josh, <laughs> it's the same old good year. He said it just like that. People are still working every day. People are still being abused. People are still being overworked. He's the same walls. That's the same Goodyear. And and for me, again, if I'm going to do something insane, I'm not. Not if I'm I'm not. So I had to really reevaluate things and give it some huge outlook on life and, and what was important. Again, Jay-Z, I love Jay-Z because of the business and the way he brings business and street together. But why am I looking for somebody's job and I can create my And that's the way I should have been thinking longer and have done. So, like, I've always had the – I always admired you with your entrepreneurial goals and things you push for, side things you had going on, and I should have doing that earlier, but it's never too late. So even with the head starts or things and people, it's, hey, I'm seeking advice and I'm moving forward, and then I'm also – I'm not going to grand slam. I'm not here to hit base hits or bunt. I'm here to hit grand slams. Four people on bases loaded, and I'm not going to home one. I did want to ask you a quick question before we close out. You mentioned that you were, um, you had a business with a travel agency, I believe, or cruise lines. No, you... actually, I'm, yes, it's actually not a travel agency. I'm actually a micro call center that do okay. a call center out of my home office for Carnival oh. Cruise Line. Okay. So around customer service, is that what you're saying? Yes, dealing directly with customer service. So I, I work Carnival's customer service. When somebody calls, I answer as if I'm Carnival from my home office. Pretty cool. How did, you, how did you connect to get that? Or So what happened was I 
started trying to think of what would I want to do right now that wouldn't be too much upfront capital to start a business and be able to generate income mm-hmm. and be able to kind of, I wanted to have the home life more. I wanted to, I got some making up time. My kids are at ages of sports and things. I've been coaching my son's team and then my wife, she's getting into career in a educational kind of change where she's going to start to start to obtain her PhD. So I knew the home support needed to be as much, if not more than what my professional has been, my professional driven career and everything. So I looked at opportunities online to make money on, um, online at home. I actually ran across Arise, which is a platform that provides Fortune 500 companies for your company, um, for you to be able to start a micro call center and you to use their platform to obtain contracts. So that's what I've done where I've, uh, the first contract I've obtained actually was um, I got the Home Depot contract and didn't do some things in a timely manner and actually ended up losing out and getting certified for that class. And then I ended up with the Carnival Cruise Line. And it's all a learning experience, and I have somebody mentor me through the process. Um, not just the business ownership t- aspect, but more of just that industry. Um, I've done customer service before, but actually understanding how the systems work and what I need to know and then going through the certification process. So I've, I'm being mentored through that and um, doing that now. And that's what even with uh, the growth of my business because what it actually enables is for me to actually have employees work, do the same exact thing I do, work from home, home-based offices, doing customer service and or if they want to do sales or something similar to be able to do that and work for me from home. We're going to go ahead and close the call. And I want to also thank you, Josh, for sharing your story and wrap up by saying to those on the call, if you like what you heard tonight and you want to learn more about Dreamcatchers, please visit our website at dreamshouldbereal.com. Also, if you can think of someone who would benefit from these types of opportunities and are willing to share what we're doing with them, we'd really appreciate you doing that. And we will talk with you again in a couple weeks. Get it how you live, and that's just what I did. Hustle all day and all night, boy. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy.